Hey everybody, we are Martin, Robert, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head, rent-free. Hey everybody, welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 47. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. So, this is an Our Heroes episode, and... uh, I think we got a pretty interesting uh, fella on tap. I'm for, surprised it took us this long <laughs> yeah. to get to him. Yes, but we're going to talk Winston Churchill. Yeah. Oh yes. Um, as I said earlier, the man strides across the century, the 20th he century. Does. He, he does. does. He really he does. does. Right. He is a giant striding. He's, he's across a colossus. The yes. Um, I have often said that I, I find there are six heroes to the 20th century, and I think the reason that that's super important is the 20th century is probably the most dangerous and bloody century in human history. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah. Partially that's a function of the quantity of humans that have lived, but also the quantity of nastiness we have unleashed upon one another. That's right, yeah. the two world wars most notably, but yeah. they were not so the many, only ones. So yeah. many things come to that head... Uh, in in the 20th century between the two world wars and then again this specter of total annihilation of civilization mutually assured destruction in the That's second right. half which we grew up of, under and the cold war yeah I mean that colors everything about our generation um, so I've always thought that in the first half of the 20th century there are three heroes Churchill Franklin Roosevelt and Theodore Roosevelt and then in the second half of the 20th century, there are three, Reagan, Thatcher, and John Paul II. These are the people that hold the world together and deliver it safely into the 21st century in a way. Um, so we want to tackle one of those people tonight and talk Winston Churchill. I think this is a fantastic uh, topic to do because... Churchill's one of those people that everybody knows the name. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, unless you're just a total non-compass mentis kind of person where you just have no concept of of anything. They don't listen to us, though. They don't listen to us. Uh, But he's he he plays such an influential role in British politics for 50 years at least. Uh, You know, he is he's secretary of the Navy. He's prime minister multiple times. That's right. Yeah, not just during the war. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he is uh, one of those men that is just, I don't know, he, I guess he, you could say he provides the backbone of World War II for the Allies. Yes. Yeah. You know, the, the, the quote about we shall, uh, you know, on the, on the beaches and the, like the streets, the yeah. you, know, you know, we shall never... Uh, never surrender, never get whatever the yeah. you know the quote I'm talking about. I don't have that, especially yeah, in that voice, surrender. is just it's one of those things that if you're cognizant of what he was talking about, should send chills up your spine. Oh yeah, he was at, at their darkest, darkest hour because they were essentially alone. Yes, there was nobody it's, else. It's the last bastion of civilization, essentially. That's right. Everything else has been conquered. Everything else is under the sway of, of fascism. Of, 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 of one of the greatest evils in, in human history. That's right. And, he, and, and we have not committed yet. 
uh, as, as an American. Not actively. We not have actively. committed because, you know, the Lend Lease is going on, that's but right. still. Well, actually, at the very beginning, it was not. Well, that's it was true. Part yes. of, that comes later. That's, yeah, that, that and is it, true. But it's Churchill that makes that happen. He not, does, Not yes. just him. It's FDR that makes that because he wanted to, too. But uh, I, I keep going back to that wonderful movie with Gary Oldman, uh, Darkest Hour, uh, which illustrates this so very clearly of that moment when Churchill takes over from Chamberlain which who was if you want to talk about a villain he's probably a good uh, a good candidate for I wouldn't that. necessarily call him a villain he's got some aspects of uh, Lando Malari Malari mm-hmm. because he's one of those guys that he's trying to do what he thinks is right oh, yeah. for everyone but he screws it up that's right totally but he doesn't it's have one of that. History's biggest losers. Yeah, he doesn't have That's that tragic word. sense that uh, that that Londo does because Londo comes to you know. We, you know granted, it's a TV show. Yeah, we can see it, but you know, Londo has that. Oh my God, I screwed it up. I wish I could change it. But I'm locked into this. That's right. I don't know. I don't know if that's truly you can say that about Chamberlain. Chamberlain. I don't think Chamberlain understood what how badly he had messed things up. He was committed to peace, and in a post World War One time period, of course you should be. He's yes. trying to. He believes his people want peace at any price. Churchill thinks otherwise. Yeah. Well, Churchill peace knows is otherwise. always preferable to war until you have to be at war. Yes, and that's great. That's and, the thing that people like Chamberlain don't understand. Yes, your people want peace, but that doesn't mean the other guy does. That's right. Not at any price. Yeah. And that's one of the things Churchill... Because to him, the price doesn't matter. He'll slaughter as many of you as it takes. He can replace his soldiers, or so he believes. believes, Churchill understood Hitler and what he wanted, and Chamberlain did not. See, I think that's the key for me about Churchill. Again, a lot of wonderful qualities, that grit, that determination, Sometimes his... that inspirational leadership. But to me, it's it's the perceptiveness. To a large degree, for a lot of his career, uh, Churchill's a fairly conventional politician. He also has weaknesses, strong weaknesses, oh, yeah. that actually turn into strengths, but only because of the circumstances. Yeah. But, like you said, that, that perception, he sees fascism for what it really is he sees hitler for who he really is and then in the future he sees communism for what it really is right and you know the term iron curtain Mm -hmm. is churchill that's right that's churchill so he he sees all of this yes stalin is a an ally of convenience right but Churchill knows that he's got a, a tiger by the tail. That's right. He knows that he the, knows where this this is going. Yeah, Churchill and Patton probably would have would have agreed that at some point we think we're going to have to fight these guys. Might as well do it while we got the men here. Now he may not have agreed with the <laughs> might as well do it while we got the men here because at, at that point yeah. Britain was weary of war. Right. The entire well, continent was. What's well, yeah. one of the reasons? He but he was, understood he who vote, the enemy was. He was voted out. You know, at the, yes. at the end of the war, which. Seems like an awful, very thankless method, but he was. Well, it wasn't so much he was voted out because he wasn't voted out of office in the sense he was still a member of parliament. He just he lost the prime prime ministership. Prime ministership. That's right. Right, because he was and during the war he's actually head of a coalition. Really, government really is his party does not 
dominate the House of Parliament right. in such a way where it's he, just the largest party. Because right, Chamberlain still has the dominance there. Yeah. And it's only when Churchill comes and make and the movie Darkest Hour portrays this very well, is he doesn't really have the majority, but he's the one they can all agree on. Right. It's very And it's, it's yeah. not a done deal. Yeah, Chamberlain it, it was still, gonna go to Halifax. Halifax was one they wanted. Chamberlain actually still holds all the votes. And there's a great moment in that movie where, and you guys remember it, I know, when Chamberlain gives the signal, he picks up his handkerchief and wipes his head with it, that was the signal to the other guys in his party to vote for Chamberlain, and he, uh, Churchill. And he doesn't give that at first because yeah. he's not sure. And then Chamberlain makes the sp- Churchill makes the speech. Yeah. And all of a sudden he realizes, yeah, this guy is the guy we need. Yes, ask, yeah. the, ask the king to send for Churchill. Yeah. It, so, it's a very dramatic thing in real life. It really, yeah. It, yeah, it, it, it really the, does The way the movie portrays it, of course, Gary Oldman is amazing, but that was exactly as it was because it, sh- it couldn't didn't necessarily have to go that way. Yeah. So how much of, because you just had a very important line there, because we forget as Americans how the British system works. When, unless there is a clear majority, which almost never happens in a parliamentary system, right? Unlike with Americans, uh, there's almost always a majority of one party or the other. Uh, whoever has the plurality, right. generally, the leader of that party is asked by the monarch mm-hmm. to form a government, form a government. right? And it now, could change at any time, and it could change at any time. But also, the monarch. Has to has to initiate this. He has to say, "You need to do this." Right, because there, Chamberlain loses a new a no confidence vote. Yes, right. and that automatically the government falls. Yeah, that's so, right. That's when the monarch's got to say, "All right." But that doesn't trigger an election. No, that just triggers that. Oh crap! What are we going to do? Because, like you say, the party the party with the most seats in Parliament has a leader. Mm-hmm. So you're not really running for the premiership. Your your party runs. You're the guy that the party has elected to be in charge. That's Chamberlain. He's the premier. But when everything falls apart, what do you do? Yeah, it's an interesting thing you, because you're between elections, so yes, it has there's no well, elections are, are are not really scheduled the way they right, are. They for just kind of call them, yeah, right when they need them. And when you think about the British system, um, a vote of no confidence. I'm a, a large majority of your own party could vote that they have confidence in you. But if all of the others and enough of your own party vote no confidence, you're still out That's right. as yeah. prime minister. Yeah. So then, even though you have the majority of your own party, which is the plurality, you're still out. That's right. You can't do it, but you get to have a say as to who does. Yeah. There is probably a great there's, deal of truth the in that. There's intention in that. that, that that's uh, why it's kind Chamberlain of a backdoor kind of, negotiation right. between the, the, the monarch and the party because... Obviously, the monarch doesn't always agree yeah, with whoever and the, the, the monarch people monarch has the ability to say, no, I don't want this one. Now, if you watch the TV... That's the, a constitutional crisis waiting to happen. That's correct. And As in wartime, you do not want they that. They don't do that. If you watch the Netflix series The Crown, which is I'm a huge fan, it's fantastic, it shows uh, Elizabeth and her time, she runs into this occasionally... That, that she doesn't really like the one that they put forward. Yes, Churchill was a great influence on her. She was, absolutely, because she yes. was a young lady. We did a, did the Elizabeth yes. episode once before. Uh, Churchill was, of course, the prime minister when she is in her ascendancy. Before, in while the her 50s, father, in, in his second stint. Well, well, third, isn't it? Because isn't he prime minister before World War II? 
Uh, no, no, I don't believe no, so. No, he's not. His first prime oh, minister. Okay, I was thinking he was. But nevertheless, she's he, she's still formative, even though she's Princess Elizabeth. Yes. During the war, because everybody, yes. you know, everything is done. That. So she sees him as this as this marble man, and he is very much influential on her as a young monarch because he is he is reelected right around the time she just before she comes back uh, to her ascendancy when George yeah. the Sixth passes away. So she's he teaches her politics because he's the old sage yes. and she's the new yeah. you know new monarch yeah. but there's certain things that Churchill brings with him that is very problematic at times right and that's that's uh, you guys were talking about you know the sending for Churchill and why that was an issue he's seen as an adventurer Every, some of them are scared shitless of it. Well, they, nobody forgot Gallipoli. Yes. Nobody forgot that. And he took full blame for that. I'll give him credit. He stood up and said, yep, it was my idea. I pushed for it. I have to take the blame for that. There's an honor behind that. Yeah. Because he, he could have cut and run yeah. and blamed somebody else. He didn't. Yeah. Even though it cost him uh, it cost him his, his position. Yeah. And he was basically shut out uh, most of the time, he actually went to war after that. He uh, he took an officer ship. Yeah, he took an officer uh, uh, after that because he says, "Well, I guess if you don't want me here, I'm gonna still do my patriotic duty, so I'm going to war." Uh, and nobody forgot that because yeah. how many? I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but how many hundreds, of, you know, thousands of guys died? And I get it; it was a sound strategy. He had no idea what they were up against. And the yeah. will of the the enemy that they had, or the tactics that they went yeah. up against. It seems like it's almost a universal that great leaders have something like that. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Grant had his. Yeah, uh, Lee had his at Gettysburg. Sure, you know? there's a humbling that makes you effective eventually. Yeah, you, it has to happen. Yeah, you know, yeah. You otherwise, know. you're otherwise you're you're out of touch. You're yeah. tone deaf. Yeah. You know, in Churchill, that wasn't the first time he'd heard shots fired in anger. He well, served in when he uh, served in World War One. Yes, yeah. I and mean, he he served. Um, he was in the Boer War. Yeah, he was a reporter, if I recall correctly. Yes, uh, but he was captured actually during the yeah. Boer War. Yeah, it's like he, a he, daring he, escape. He but. did escape. Yeah, it's actually it was very uh, it was well documented after the time, uh, almost unheard of. But he also served in India. That's right. I had forgotten that. He served right. in India. Uh, Any officer of note would have cycled through there, most yeah. likely. Yeah. So, so he has this really unique, varied career. Again, as he's a writer, he's a reporter, right. he's an active military officer. Part of this is he's, who he is and the time that he lives in, though. Yeah. He's, well, he's a Victorian product of the Victorian era. And, yeah, and yeah. there's there's almost a cursus anorum that you go through yeah. uh, in many I don't ways. know. I would say he probably hit... More that he did check boxes than just about anybody that's else. That's correct. That's right. Uh, because he was, uh, you know, he wasn't uh, an aristocrat. Uh, if he, I he, he was no, he was. He, he was. He was the yeah. second son, though. Ah, okay. See, that, that's, that's where. Why, that's where I'm getting that. Because he, uh, yes. he he was the second son of the Lord Lord Marlborough at the time, descendant of John Churchill, uh, the hero of Blenheim. 
uh, during the the Duke uh, of Marlborough. The Duke of Marlborough, yeah, exactly. Very, yeah. yeah, and he wanted to live up to that because the Duke standard. Of Mar- the Duke of Marlborough was uh, he was even more sainted than Wellington was in many respects because of his okay. time on the continent. He was his br- elder brother held the t- uh, would inherit the title, so he was a second son. Okay, yeah, that, but that he must, was that's but why he was I did nobility. Not think he, was. he was absolutely that. Yeah, uh, he was very privileged in many ways. Well, yes. There's a difference between being a peasant. That's correct. And <laughs> yeah. because you can be, I mean, Blenheim yeah. Palace, which is a famous, famous place that you can still visit today. Uh, Kenneth Branagh filmed his Hamlet in 1996 there mm. with the Hall of Mirrors and all that sort of stuff. Was gifted to Churchill's ancestor John Churchill, the first Duke of Marlborough, because of his victory at Blenheim. <laughs> so I mean, it was he. It was in many respects he saved the world, is what yeah. was told to him. Yeah. So. As far as him having all these experiences, probably being the second son, it's he. It's in a little way he's straddling both worlds. Yes, as far yes. because he has a lot of the benefits of nobility. Uh-huh, that's right. He has because of his name. He has an opening to things that the average Joe. Uh, that's right. Or, an entry into politics. Or the average Neville yes. doesn't have. And there's an expectation uh, of that too. Yes. Yes. Uh, but he also has because he's a second son. He's not. Uh, bound by duties that the first son would be. Yeah. So he, he can go off be a reporter. That's he can right. go off and do these adventurous things. And another interesting thing, too, his mother is actually an American. Yes, that is one of the great things about him. She's, yes. like, very... She's very American. Yeah. She's her own person. Yes, and I understand... To, to a great degree. From, uh, I forget what it was that I saw, but there was a great series on Churchill that I caught part of. And there's just a little bit about that that I caught that he she was a great influence on him. She yes. was. That's right. that's very very true. Because he was not. He knew he wasn't going to be the heir. He actually had the freedom and the resources to do what he wanted to. Was she a second wife, or did she bear the the first? Uh, I don't recall. I don't recall that. That's. I, I mean, I, it's I neither here nor there because if we're not talking about the monarch. It doesn't really matter, but. Yeah. No, I, 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 you're right. I don't so think you're right. Her, her personality feeds into his desire for adventure mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And, be and, what you want to be, do what you want to do, yeah, go what his, you want to go. independent thinking. Yeah. Well, that's you know. that's very American. You're exactly right on that because most Especially of that, at the turn of the century. That's right. Yes. He, was, he was not a conformist. And so many in British nobility at the time where you do what you're told to do. Yeah. And the Churchill British, broke that. He was yes. not into that at all. Well, the British, they was his mother. define, they epitomize the term statesman. Oh, yeah. And most people, if they know anything about history, probably think about Churchill's like, well, maybe not statesman. We don't know what we call him that. Because he was a little bit gruff, oh, a little bit rough around the edges. Oh, extremely eccentric. eccentric. Yes. Um, yeah, he wasn't, like you said, he, he had that independent streak, which... Being the second son, he's 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 allowed that a little bit more yeah. than the first son would be. I want to give a lot of credit to John Lithgow, who I would not have thought would may have made a good Churchill in the Crown, but oh my God, he nails him so <laughs> well, so well with that. He's American, of course, uh, and he's a fine actor, yes, but wow, he pulls off the. Uh, eccentricities, but the brilliance of the man. Now, this is post-war, during the, the time that this series covers. Uh, but it's amazing what he... Because Churchill, in the first season of The Crown, is a central figure. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's he it figures very. He has his own episodes through here. They even do a uh, a portrait of him which he burns because he didn't like it. He didn't think it was flattering enough. There's an episode about that. Uh, it's a fantastic personal uh, exploration of him mm-hmm. as a as an individual, kind of in the winter of his time there. In the second season, I think they they actually show where Elizabeth meets him at on his deathbed. You know, when he passes away in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. And Churchill is just, he defies categorization. Yeah. He defies the ability to put him into, he's so complicated. He's so his own person. You just cannot pigeonhole him. Yeah. And history has tried. Fortunately, he wrote a lot. He's a <coughs> hell of an author. Yeah. He, he wrote an ish, He wrote a history of the English people, for goodness sake. Oh, yes, that is well it regarded. It sits on my bookshelf. It's yes. a fantastic book. Uh, not to mention his war memoirs. And the book, yeah. not, not just yep. his memoirs, but his history of the war that he wrote. Uh, it is said that the man would sit in the audience at a production of Hamlet. It wasn't Laurence Olivier, but it was somebody on stage that was unnerved who was playing Hamlet because Churchill is quoting every single line out loud in the front row. <laughs> yeah, it's that would be a little unnerving. Yeah, that's right. It's, and, and they knew it was him you yeah. know, because you know where he's sitting. Yeah, and again, it's a fascinating career. Uh, sometimes a conventional politician, sometimes... Not very well regarded by his colleagues. Oh, he was criticized oh, right, yes. all and, over the place. Yeah, Gallipoli, the 20s were a time in the wilderness for him. That's yes, correct. Yes. Gallipoli is the obvious one, but that's not the only one. He he had his own opposition. He went against the grain lots of times. He was uh, criticized. Visionaries usually do. That's yeah. right. He was criticized for being an alcoholic. Yes. I'm not sure that's not true. Uh, it may have been. He, he was, was criticized for uh, affairs. Uh, he, he was, although but that's true for almost every politician. Although it, by surprisingly, default. he and his wife had a successful marriage. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. which is kind of, then again one more form of complication well, the man has. Look at Eisenhower. You know, yeah. He was one that was uh, criticized today at the time. No, that would never have been apropos. But, yeah, it was uh, of the affair with his secretary, and that's not actually been proven. There's doubt as to whether that yeah. was a sexual relationship. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's probably almost a Kay default. Kay Summersby. Yes, Kay yeah. Summersby, yes. So, so there's, you know, there's, there's complicated. Yeah, He's, he spends a ton of time basically in the political wilderness. But he's in Parliament in the 30s. He starts to see what's happening. He's arguing for rearmament. Mm-hmm. Um, there's... There's substantial pushback because there's not a lot of money. Right. This is during the Depression. The Depression is worldwide. This is not a good time economically for anybody. And nobody wants to hear about rearming against Germany again. That's right. Right. Oh, yeah. This was not the mood of the people by any means because it was isolationism and we do not want to go back to war again because the specter of World War I, especially for Churchill. Right. This is the attitude worldwide. This is us. France wasn't looking forward to it, although France was probably a little bit ahead of the curve. They were worried. Because they were on the border. That, well, the Maginot Line, you know, they were very, yes. very worried because they realized, you know, if they come back, it's us they're coming back after. Because right. we've lost to them twice, basically. That's right. Exactly. So, I mean, let's face it. So we're when gonna, the entire war happens on your territory, 
you are not the winner. So we build these huge selections of se sections of forts on the way. We know they have to come, and Hitler, of course, takes his tanks and goes around. Goes yes. around. But yeah, so so he's he's counseling all the time as a member of Parliament. We have to rearm. We have to see who Hitler really is here. He's getting marginalized. He's seen as an adventurer, but eventually. There is no other choice. Well, yeah. By, the, by the time Poland is invaded, yeah. you've had... Well, it's probably not even then. I yeah. would say probably when the first... You know, when, when Hitler takes the Sudetenland. That's the first one, and then... That's really when people are starting to like, oh, crap. Yeah. And next thing you know, then you've got Czechoslovakia, and then you've got the Rhineland, and then yep. you've got Austria and the Anschluss. Alsace-Lorraine. Alsace-Lorraine, and then you've got Poland. Okay, fine, we're done. Uh, yeah. Which, when you think about it, is it's an amazing amount of provocation that Hitler gets away with before yeah, the war is declared. And the reason being is because we don't want to go through this again. Well, I think part of that's it, a lot of it. I think part of it is also uh, we probably don't understand this as well as as uh, Europeans would. I think part of it is just who he went to war against to start with. People didn't care about the Czechs and the, and the Slovakians, yeah. the Czechoslovakians. Well, that's right. People didn't care, and, you know, and really... The country is only 10 years old or 15 right. years it's, old. Right, it's not exactly a made-up country because there is a Czech people and a Slovak people. Right. It's a made-up country in the sense that they've mashed them together. Politically. But then Politically. You know, but when the Habsburg Empire fractures, you got to do something. Right, so I mean, that was... Yeah, so, you know, and now Poland is a real... It, historically, it's got a history. That's right. Uh, and there are particular treaties partially because Poland sits between Russia and Germany. Mm -hmm. And they're seen as a critical ally. Right. What and unfortunately was... people don't understand is they are a weak ally. They, they, they certainly were. Yes. They're, they're, because they're kind of made up. They're really... Well, they're still young enough governing themselves right, to yes. where they have not built up the, the infra infrastructure to be able to defend themselves. Yeah, because yeah, we're only 20 years. Right. After the war, yeah. uh, and Poland was, you know, a, certainly a devastated portion of it. So much of the, the war itself took place during that. How could you possibly imagine? But Poland is big enough. I hate to say this, but it's big enough that oh, it matters. Well, there's a lot to that too. Yes, there is a lot yeah. to that too. But it, it, you know, it's to a large degree, it is finally Britain under Churchill's pushing. Yeah. To set that Picard line. That's right. This far and no, no farther. Problem. Yeah. Uh, and Poland, Poland, Poland was the one. As the, as the line. That's right. Uh, and then he's, you know, perceptive enough to see, okay, we can't really win this on our own. Well, yeah, because yeah, you've got, got to whole... draw the Americans in. Well, that, that's the long-term well, strategy. Well, certainly by the time you get to Dunkirk. Absolutely. I was yes. about to go it there. is obvious that... Hitler's unstoppable on the continent. Yeah. He has rolled up France in less than 40 days. Yes. I mean, it, come on. Uh, and Spain Churchill, is, Churchill is was against, in a civil war on yeah. its own. Italy's taken care of. The the uh, the Slavic people in the, the southeastern Europe, they're a mess. And really, they're a non-factor. So other than Russia, which has jointly invaded Poland, and I still say one of Hitler's biggest mistakes was the invasion of Russia. The other biggest mistake was not annihilating the British at Dunkirk, like you could have. Yeah. 
Um, if he'd done either one of those two things, he might have won the war. I wouldn't go that far on Dunkirk. I think it would have taken the British a lot longer to recover, no question. Well, I mean, you think about the number of men that they were able to evacuate. But it, it certainly... And they were blooded men. Now, granted, they were beaten, mm -hmm. but you give them time to, to, to rest, recoup, and to retrain and rearm, the they are the core of the army. The propaganda victory, the personal victory, yes. that the British people were galvanized by that rescue, and they realized, we, you know, bring it on. This Welcome to the yes. Thunderdome, baby. We're on. Yes. Game on. We're, we're going after you now. They would have, could have been defeated, morally speaking, if they had annihilated, if, if, the, if the Germans had annihilated the armies at Dunkirk. Yeah then I think it's a very likely possibility or probability that the British would have had to sue for peace. Yeah. They would have been sidelined from the war entirely. Yeah, that's Doesn't mean possible. the Germans would have occupied them. Probably. Operation but, Sea Line was already underway in the planning stages. Yeah, Maybe, but that's but, the thing with Hitler, though. You sign something with him... All you're doing is buying him time to figure out how, exactly. to, how yeah. to invade. Churchill saw that. Yeah. Most of the others did don't, not. Don't back down because signing something with him doesn't mean anything. It, right. Doesn't well, mean it plays right crap. into his strategy. It, it does. Time to the more time he has, the right. better he's going to get. That's right. Yeah. Especially once he's conquered Europe. That's right, because he has unlimited resources that you cannot compete with. Navally, Maybe. That was the yes. British's only... And, and Churchill understood that. He understood the value of Navy. He was first Lord of the Admiralty, for goodness sakes. But, he was one of the few leaders But the interesting thing is, the Navy that. was a non-factor at Dunkirk. That's correct. They didn't have anything at that point. Well, Later, they had to have had something. Because, I mean, you they couldn't did, build the Navy they used in one year. They did. That's correct. But it was they, they couldn't get them there fast enough. That was the problem. They The... the, the the empire itself being so far flung worked worked in their disadvantage. Well, yes. The, the question is, how much do they have in the home home ports? That's right. Yeah, By the time yeah. they were able to work for this, it, things were very very different. Uh, what you're finding, though, is that Churchill. One of the advantages he has as, as former First Lord of the Admiralty, he recognizes he's able to come up with, with help, of course, the entire convoy system. Yes. Which is enables them... See, he gets the strategic thinking. Yeah. That's one of the reasons he's our hero, is because he doesn't get lost in the details or get, oh my gosh, uh, what are we going to do here? He understood. I, I, I think you've nailed that. I think that is the, the, the difference. Chamberlain couldn't see beyond the moment. That's correct. Yeah. And, and, Ch and Churchill sees the long game. He realizes, I, don't, I can't get the Americans immediately. I'm going to try. He fails. And honestly, this is the same, uh, you know, not a huge fan of the of Roosevelt, mainly because I think he's given too much credit for things that happened during his three there's terms in a There's bit. some truth yeah. to that. Uh, it's kind but of a default. Yeah. he has that same vision. He knows that he cannot ignore Hitler. That's right. He had to figure out a way to keep us in the war without being in the war. And yeah, keep us from knew, being totally sidelined. He knew the convoy the system was part of that. That's right. He knew the American people were not yet ready for this. Yes. In fact, uh, Pearl Harbor played very well into his hands in many respects. Yes. Depending, uh, yeah, depending on the conspiracy theorists you talk to, he, some people think think he allowed Pearl Harbor no, to happen. I, would I don't believe that. No, don't believe that at all. I don't think any American president has ever been that no. monstrous. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, although that's like saying that you know 9/11 was a false flag that the government planned it. No, that's no. Way. no. <laughs> uh, but there is an advantage. Of course, we just lost all the conspiracy theorists that we that were listening That's to. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. 
But yeah, that 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 ability to see, and that's what makes a great leader. That's right. Is that's the ability to see beyond the immediate effects, the immediate uh, problems. Yeah, that Churchill is working fifteen chess moves ahead here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what's essential for a strategic thinker. Yes, uh, to talk about you know it, it kind of ties into what we talked about uh, in our um, code of honor episode, a couple of uh, episodes or last episode. <coughs> Pardon. And that um, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Part of that means you must have multiple plans. you got to have contingencies. That's, I think, what he was really good at. That's correct, because he, he, he tried to get Franklin Roosevelt on board immediately, and Roosevelt was, <laughs> well, we don't have the will here. We're yeah, not there yet. But, you know, that's why the whole Lend-Lease thing comes about. Uh, the, that movie, The Darkest Hour, which I still keep going back to because, God, it is so good. Uh, you have that conversation on the phone between Churchill and... And Roosevelt, he said, well, you know, uh, if you can get to the Canadian border, we can push something over the border for you. I'm thinking, really? That's where we're at here? You want to talk about being on your own? But America, you know, it's hard for us to understand because we have grown up in a time when America was only a globalist. Oh, absolutely. We don't understand the yes. concept of NATO. isolationism. Yeah. Yes. That which was absolutely rampant when at the time. When you think about how deep the depression was, right, and the amount of unemployment and suffering, mm. which depending on your opinion may or may not have been prolonged by his policies, I think it war it was. It was World War II that ended the depression. Yeah, that's pretty much universally believed, yes. And when you think about how inwardly turned we were we we didn't have the energy the 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 ability the will, the will. to care right. about anybody right. else right. because we we were suffering for that for all badly. the right reasons i mean and i don't want to i don't want to blame us too hard for no, no 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 i i don't either um but the fact that churchill could i don't want to say maneuver roosevelt into into he, because i don't think that's the case no no it was not they were very much i think in sync he, uh, he played the game as it as the cards were laid yes. out. He knew they both the, did. He knew they the chess moves what and they he, could. They played it what they yes. could when they could, knowing that eventually we will win this if we stay the course. Yes, yeah. yes. And that means that and, we're by ourselves. And again, for a while. you're right. Talking about Churchill being ahead of the moves, you know, he's he's ahead of the moves when it comes time to talk about the post-war uh, settlements. Yeah. You know he's ahead of the ahead of the moves, trying to keep Stalin out of Poland. Yeah, he's kind of powerless. It doesn't work out. That's right. He he's, does he doesn't he's always done, win. He doesn't always win, but he sees the moves. He knows what's going on. Right. Um. And yeah, and again, this this perception, this this ability to see these chessboard pieces and know what's going on. His predictions always come to pass. Yeah, I think one of the the. And I think this is a hallmark of a great leader. I think one of the things that really does make him a great leader is he understands his people. Yeah. You know, we talked about how America was totally turned inward because of the Great Depression. I think you're going to see the same thing with the British, not just during the 30s. Uh, you know, it is the only English-speaking nation. Mm-hmm. It's an island nation. So by default, they are isolated from the continent. You know, until the the channel, the the channel tunnel was in place, you couldn't just pop over to France or to Belgium yep. for a day trip. Right. You know, it, it's in a totally different uh, uh, situation than it is now. And 
we've always had more in common with each other in many ways because of the shared language. Yeah. So we've always been those natural... Again, this is a post-War of 1812, really post-Civil uh, War attitude. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think you know the fact that he could take those people that were totally, totally turned inward and use that because it's a weakness in a sense, because they, they can't understand what's happening on the continent. That's right. I don't care. But he turns it into a strength. And that never surrender speech mm-hmm. is crystallizes oh, he, that. We are out. in this together. And as a British people, we will not give up. So he turns that, all, it's all about us and how bad off mm-hmm. we are, and turns it into the strength that ultimately yeah. wins the war. He for recognizes them. that hidden that hidden strength they all have as a British people. That that uh, it's not audacity. That's kind of an American thing. That's a, yeah. But it's it's definitely a doggedness uh, that they have as a part grit. of their character. Grit that they have as their character. There's a reason that the British Empire, of the sun never sets. They were able to make the world England in many ways. He's kind of tapping into that and realizing, you know, we are the best. Yeah. And let's be that. They were still uh, near, I wouldn't say at the top of their power. Uh, because yeah. obviously they have been eclipsed, eclipsed by Germany at this point. But when you think about the territory that they controlled, mm-hmm. uh, what the what assets they had across the entire globe, they are not necessarily at the peak of their power, but they're still close to it. There's a synergy there, too, that's very important because them being an island nation and having a strong navy, both of those things are advantages yes. that Hitler is unable to overcome because as much as he tried... Uh, he wanted to be a sea power and never could. And that's... Yes. Kaiser Wilhelm wanted to do the same thing. He didn't have enough time. He didn't have enough time. You cannot become a land power and a sea power at the same time. That's right. Uh, It's almost impossible. Wilhelm came close. Jutland was kind of the the downfall of that. Well, he had more time. Hitler really has 10 years. That's exactly right. Really less than 10 years. And and all things being said, he did a remarkable job in bringing some quality forward. Yes. But not quantity. Yes, yes, yes. The the, the Tirpitz and the, the, the... And the Bismarck. The Bismarck. Yeah. They were incredible warships. Right. But they were the only warships, realistically speaking. And also... And submarines was, aside. That's correct. He was very yeah. good at that. And that was a strategic move on their part. I get that. He did not understand, though, that naval warfare had changed to air power. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's either going to be submarine power mm-hmm. or air power. And he, he backed he the wrong horse. He chose the... Well... It, it came close. It, you know, he, if he had not built... Because the, depending on uh, the statistics or the, the analysis, the number of submarines you could build out of one of those battleships is mind-boggling. Yeah. It's like five or ten of them per yeah. battleship. Yeah. Maybe more. Honestly, I I'm, I'm, don't remember the... the uh, sorry about that. I don't remember the number, but if he had channeled the manpower into that and put that against the convoys. Well, there's a fantastic movie that with Tom Hanks that's getting ready to come out here in June called Greyhound. Oh, that, I'm not familiar uh, with this. You should watch it if you haven't had a chance to catch the trailer is out, which is, he is, Tom Hanks is an American captain of a convoy ship, and he's being hunted by the wolf packs. Oh. If you want a dramatic, I saw the trailer just about a week or so ago. And it is phenomenal. See, oh, it is yeah. good. Yeah, it is. It is. It is almost a horror story 
of being hunted by these wolf packs. And it's powerful. It, yeah. It's, it's, I, it, yeah. I mean, the Battle of the North Atlantic is it's one of those battles in all of World War II. There's, there's really four battles, I think it is, something like that, that are the pivotal ones. Um, and Battle of North Atlantic is, is one of them. Right. It's, it's, it allows Britain survival. Correct. Without, it, win, without winning it, Britain's toast. Oh, yeah. That's right. And, and that's Churchill's understanding because I don't know that Chamberlain would have had that. Right. Again, that's that strategic thinking you, right. you mentioned. And that's why I say that, it, you know, you, you, instead of doing those battleships mm-hmm. and what surface Navy that Hitler tried to do, and you and he had done more of the submarines. Yeah. If you think about the number of men that you need on a submarine versus a battleship. Yeah. It's, oh, my 200 gosh. versus... Two thousand, right? Something like that. I mean, and it's, the amount of steel it takes to a battleship mm-hmm. is even more than I think than a ten to one. And you make that many more submarines, even if it's only twenty five submarines. When you think about the damage that twenty five submarines can do, yeah. that could have been enough to turn the battle Atlantic. Yeah, because it was all about supply. Their tactics yep. were solid. Right. They really knew how to deploy those wolf packs. That if it weren't for the convoy system, if they'd have had enough numbers. It they would might have, have been able to make down. a difference. They yes. might have been able to make a difference. Whereas the war in the Pacific really was Navy versus Navy. That is correct. It was but, not about supplies. And that's part of the reason because the Japanese themselves believed in air naval air power just like we did. Right. Well, they were already well strategically in a, in a place where supplies were not an issue until the end of the war. Right. Yeah. Until after we had decimated their surface Navy. Yeah. So you know, it's truly two different battles. I, you know, I think submarines in, in the Atlantic were more important than aircraft because really aircraft carriers are primarily in the Pacific. That's yeah. right. That's I don't. Right. I mean, yeah. but air power, the the use of air power by the Allies is what negates yes. the advantages of the of the Wolfpack. Well, that's right because the Bismarck itself is sunk by airplanes. Yes. Yes. I mean, the, the, well, because and, the British and the Wolfpacks are driven away. Yes. By aircraft. Yes. That's correct. So, so, yeah, and, you and put the, enough aircraft into the, the sky, the you can find the submarines. Yeah, the, the advances in sonar. So, anyway, I've got a question for you guys. I'm going to turn this back around a Excellent. little bit. Uh, we're sitting here drinking some uh, Maker's Mark 46. Yes, yeah, we Good are. Good stuff. i got a nice glass of it here. Do you think Churchill liked bourbon? I cannot remember what his... Actually, I think there's something he did. I don't remember I where say that I is saw correct. it, but I well, think he, he was... he was famous for his love of alcohol. Yes, it was. He was and often uh, in cigars. He was cigars. often criticized for this. Uh, if you remember the movie The Battle of Britain, one of my favorite movies, and I'm sure one of your all's favorite movies, he's accused uh, early on. Uh, there's a scene between uh, Kurt Jurgens and uh, Ralph Richardson that says, "Well, Churchill's all about liquid courage," and he says, "Ralph Richardson says, who's playing the." British ambassador says, clearly you don't know him. Yeah. But that was a criticism of him at the time. But he was definitely a lover of great alcohol and great cigars. In fact, if you're a cigar smoker, and I'm not, but you guys have done some, uh, a Churchill cigar is a specific type of cigar. Yes. A good sized one, yes. Uh, His favorite alcohol was Johnny Walker Red Label. Scotch. So he's a Scotchman. He's a Scotchman. That's right. Well, Which, you know, probably in the 1930s and 40s, 20s, 30s, bourbon was not easily come by. It's not like it is today. No, well, certainly not uh, uh, in Britain. Yes, not, yeah, obviously in Britain. Yeah. So, th- But I bet he would have liked it. Oh, yeah. I, I, would, can't imagine I cannot imagine he would not have. That's right. What's yeah. not to like? So, um, 
Yeah, this is just there's so much to dig in here. We're just barely scraping. And we knew the going surface. in, there's yes. no way we can yeah. do justice so, to this great man. You know, I think one of the great things about these our heroes kind of episodes. Yeah, sometimes they're heroes. Somebody. Sometimes they're just people we think are influential. Sometimes they're just wow, he had a really big impact that is thought provoking. I mean, that's the whole concept behind yeah, right. it. Sometimes right. we just like him. Sometimes we just like him. He's not. Yeah, yeah, he's not necessarily you know a great person so much as wow, the influence is just undeniable. Yeah. But the interesting thing about almost all of these people that we have talked about is they are not um, one dimensional. Oh, they are multi faceted. In so many respects, it's complicated. Multi, multifaceted yeah. in their likes and their outlook on life and the things they've done, the things they wanted to do. And it's not just oh well, he was first Lord of the Admiralty and then he was Secretary of War or whatever the equivalent would yeah. be. Yeah. Uh, or and you know, he did multiple things. He was truly, uh, like many of these people that we have chosen have been, Renaissance in the sense that they were uh, into everything. Yeah. You know that they weren't. You know. There, it's kind of a, a put down, you know, the jack of all trades but master of none. But from a liberal arts perspective, which is the education we all have, mm-hmm. uh, jack of all trades is not a bad thing at all. Indeed, that's what we should all aspire yes. to. I, I personally, I, I believe that jack of all trades and master of one mm-hmm. should be the the uh, <laughs> the approach that we take, because there is nothing quite like mastering a skill. Uh, whether it be an, an intellectual pursuit or a physical pursuit, whether it's uh, something you do with your hands, something you uh, do at your job or whatever, uh, or something you are good at, you know, whether it be writing, uh, being a philosopher, whatever. Uh, I think the ability to master something is truly uh, uh, the hallmark of a great man or woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But you have to marry that with, I think, jack-of-all-trades. Or Jane of all trades, not to be sexist. Right. Because, or would that be Jill? Jack and Jill? Yeah. yeah. Um, because I think that shows the ability to uh, think outside the box. I think it shows the ability to be flexible, mm-hmm. to change and adapt. Vision. Uh, and, well, yes, yeah, to have a vision, but have a vision that is broad. Right. But you can have a narrow vision. I suppose that's true, uh, yeah. But a, a broad true, vision that a is... A true applicable vision for so many. That's one thing Churchill had that was undeniable. Yeah. And that's You his, see his things strength. that others don't. Yes. And, and that's it. That's if you exactly are a it. master of one thing, but a, a jack of no trades, you can't see things that others don't because you can't see the other things to begin with. Well, that's You why can't I, even misinterpret what you... Because you don't even see it. That's why Neville Chamberlain was such a, a failure. Historically, he is actually reviled for his inability to see Hitler who for who he was. He was a politician of the 19th century. And, and I know that we're often too hard on him. We uh, are, but honestly, though, he, he really did earn a lot of the... That's the, correct. The scorn that he gets. Yes, that's yeah. very true. It's partially because he is... He is he he was unable to adapt That's to right. the modern he is, world. He is unadaptable, and that is why I think he's. I think that is ultimately the reason why he yeah. has scorned his lack of vision, Churchill his lack of not. modern vision that Churchill yeah. saw. As... Well, so much modern, just the ability to see what was going on around. Well, him. that's it. That's it. Yeah, you know, modern for the time, perhaps. But I mean, somebody like Lincoln, he saw what was going on. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, the key word is appeasement. Yes, appeasement. It's he a is... weak stance to begin with. Yeah. So. Well, we know that now. Right. Ch- Chamberlain he, is... is Chamberlain's... The, he's the poster child of, of appeasement. appeasement. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
And and Churchill had always always stood against that. Right. So that's that's that thread where we like those these people with these consistent stands. Yes. This, this consistent There's ideal their principles and values that they stand for right. and that they're willing to die for mm-hmm. literally or politically or socially, whatever. Right. Well the and entire concept of the entire concept of appeasement has been forever repudiated because of men like Neville Chamberlain. But you know it's not. Well, because of, oh, because well, of Churchill. Well, that's correct. Churchill that's correct. standing well, against it. Chamberlain that's and Churchill. That's right. correct. Chamberlain yeah. providing the don't do this, Churchill providing the no do this. Yeah, you you can't really separate them, which is ironic. Uh, because yeah, well, so, I think that the lessons of, that Churchill displays, you know, the, the, the things that we learn from Churchill are only possible because of the failings of Chamberlain. Yeah. That's correct. There's because there has to be a stark contrast. There's a, yeah, there's a contrast. There's a dichotomy there yeah. that's it's like clearly delineated. You know, light is not just the absence of dark darkness. It's the contrast. Right. Uh, darkness is not just the absence yeah. of light. And it, it's, it's the contrast. I find that, that that concept there, when we talk about all six of these people that I mentioned at the beginning, that's the a common thing that threads through all of them. Yes. Is is no, we stand against appeasement. We stand. Theodore Roosevelt was always against it. Right. Yes. Franklin Roosevelt came to stand against it, side shoulder to shoulder with Churchill. Right. And in determining what the post-war world would look like too, um, and it became oh, Thatcher, Reagan, and and, and uh, John Paul. Right. The same they thing. Were, they were literally because they were all entire. They were contemporaries, and they were literally the giants of our. Uh, yeah, early, they they were yeah. fighting the same battle at the same time. They were, yes, yeah, and and they were they were fighting the same fight on different fronts, but for the same reasons. Yeah, because you have men and women of goodwill must confront evil. That's the lesson that Chamberlain and real evil. True yes, evil. real evil. Yeah, not just oh they're my political foe because so they're the devil. But true, yeah, evil. we've talked yeah. about that a lot. Yeah. That's not yes. quite the same thing. And it's and, and being able to see that and make that discernment, and then stand against that's it. Right. What you to are, stand against appeasing that. That's right. What you are doing is wrong, and we oppose it. Yes, and you being know, brave enough to say it. That's that's, that's Churchill. That's Churchill. You know, something like Churchill, like all of the six that you mentioned, really go to the. Uh, I think the fundamental reason why we do these podcasts why we've always gotten together to talk about things issues and that is that what is true now is always true it must be it must be <laughs> because truth is truth that's great it must be if truth is malleable it's not truth that's right great. it's something you else. know perception yeah if truth is perception the perception is yeah. then truth is meaningless it's like those who say that that uh, i can't legislate my morality upon you it's like well all legislation is legislating morality. That's, a, that's the whole point. Exactly it's to define the that. rules of conduct. That's right. Yeah. It's just you just don't like the particular rules that somebody wants to impose. And that goes both ways. Yes. Uh, left and right. And that's what all six of these people uh, have in common. The ability to see, I think, at least on, what, on the areas that they influence, that this is true and good and you have to to support this and to oppose whatever would destroy it. That's right. And it just so happened all of them had that particular event, moment, organization that they were able to clearly see as this is not yes. in line with that. Now, Roosevelt probably is the, the, the least 
Teddy, you're talking about. Yeah, Teddy, sorry. Right, right. Um, the least um, engaged in that kind of thing. Well, he is, but, but it's he not is, global. Right, well, yes. So Teddy is one of those interesting guys, not to, to digress from Churchill, but just to kind of put some things into context. Uh, you know, Teddy is a, is a Republican, um, but we would not consider him a conservative by today's standards. He was right. a trust buster. Yeah. Uh, he was very much into conservation. Yeah. Uh, but he was also, um, would we would call him very much a Second Amendment kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. liked to hunt big game. Uh, honestly, he's probably one of the best examples of taking the best of all uh, all sides of the, yeah. the political spectrum. Yeah, yeah. he's because not afraid to do There is either. nothing wrong with conserving natural resources and natural um, uh, uh, landmarks and, and, and wonders that should be available to all. Now, the only question is how far do you take that yeah. you know you know do you uh take basically all of the clean coal land in 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 the west and and nationalize that so it can never be uh mined and therefore the chinese have their own uh, uh monopoly on that as clinton did because you know clinton got a lot of money now whether or not from the chinese now whether or not that's actually you know a worthy argument to make i don't know but there's a lot of coincidences there there's a lot of coincidences a lot of coincidences there i mean so but he was there at the beginning of that kind of movement. He saw that that need. The national park system that we have is largely due That's to right. Teddy Roosevelt. It wouldn't exist otherwise. The laws against trusts and monopolies yeah, we have are almost entirely based upon what he saw. Now, I think, honestly, he would look at some of the, the, the industries today and he'd think, did you guys not, for, did you, did you, do you don't remember this law we passed? Well, there's some truth to that. Break yeah. up Disney. Break up! I told I talk about that in another episode. Of break up Disney. Break up uh, Monsanto. Break up uh, Kraft. You know all the different food conglomerates. Yeah. You know Archer like, Daniels Midland. Yeah, Archer Daniels Midland. <laughs> I mean, oh my God! He would look at some of this stuff. I mean, Standard Oil is Standard Oil again in all but name. Well, they just didn't yeah, give it the be, same name. But all the components that it was broken up into are now part of the same company. Non-regulated again. business tends towards monopolies. That's something yes. he would agree with. Not everyone does. But I right. think there's some truth to the fact that it's kind of the proof is in the pudding. You well, see that over time. Yes, yeah. I think one of the truths and that he saw his, that his... not everybody sees in the same way today, uh, on both sides. One side will take one extreme, and the other side will take the other extreme. But you know, he saw um, that to have a well-ordered society and economy, you have to have a set of rules that everybody works under, and. You cannot let one or a small group uh, become too powerful because that is entirely un-American. It's an oligarchy. Uh, it's an oligarchy. Yeah. And when you let that happen, uh, the, the people, the people, the little guy, they're the ones who are hurt. That's right. It's a consumer and realistically, you know, if there's anything that the government is supposed to do is promote the general welfare. Well, who, what, what does that mean? Yeah. Make sure the little guy's not shit upon all the time. That's great. Yeah. I mean, there. I mean, that's a crude way to put it, but it's accurate. You know, there's a lot of truth in that. Now, how we try and make sure that happens, everybody argues about today, but essentially, everybody should be able should to be, agree on that. Should be arguing that that point. Yes, we, that the only little guy. It's a matter of semantics. And realistically, when you look at the the Trump kind of people, the Hillary kind of people, the the Bernie and, and Elizabeth Warden kind of people. You know, extreme socialists, extreme uh, Trump supporters. Both of, the, you know, Trump 
came to power based on a populist movement of uh, people feeling like they weren't being heard, that they didn't have a voice in anything yeah, anymore. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And that's what Occupy Wall Street was. Sure. So, yeah, it's the same dance, different tune. It's same dance, different tune, different dance partners. That's right. And it's a myopic way of looking at things. Unfortunately, yes. That a Churchill, a Teddy, a Franklin, a Margaret Thatcher, a Reagan, a John Paul would say to those people, it's like, you're missing the entire point. It's not about saving some of us. It's about saving all of us. Yes. And that's what so many of those, the polarization only serves the polarized. And that the the entire point should be how do we save all of us yes and nobody's having that conversation churchill understood churchill understood that he could only save britain by saving europe that's right that's a concept that we cannot understand in today's modern world yeah it really isn't it cannot find purchase it cannot find traction that's right well that's a downer boys well, it's a downer, but, you know, I think that the whole point of the My Heroes yeah. is to point to these people and say, look, learn from them. That's right. They stood against all of them. They this. understood, and we ignore them at our peril. Yes. Yeah. Even the Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. It was a similar kind of thing. You know, you can learn how to to do your own thing. Yeah, there may be consequences, because that's true for anything. But, you know, that's the whole point of these people. They weren't... The uh, what was your quote from the last episode um, for the code of honor? How did that go again? If you listen to fools, the mob rules. Right. So the people we have picked are not listening to the fools. Yeah. That is the whole point, I think, yeah, of every point. one of these. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that that's really good. I mean, again, you could do six episodes on Churchill. If you I got. Get I into gotta it. end us though with the quotation I told you guys about. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, uh, uh, I'll end us with this. This is one of my favorite. Churchill, of course, has thousands upon thousands of quotations, but this is a story that apparently is true. It's some might say it's apocryphal, but ultimately it is hilarious, as we've discovered. Now, why is this? I mean, other than for the humor. Well, that's mostly. What does this it. say? Okay, this, say, does it say anything about about it, Churchill it to does, you? It says what this says about Churchill is he is absolutely. Un, this goes back to our strategy talk about here. He's unconcerned with opinions about his beliefs. He is ah, still going to stay with go. where he. He's going to still clearly zoom right in on the issue at hand, and he doesn't really care that you don't agree with him. He knows he's right, and in this case here, it's perfectly, uh, perfectly apropos. Uh, the story goes he was drunk one night, which was common. Uh, he's at a social function. Uh, I'm not sure when this takes place, but there's a particular society matron who comes up to him uh, at this particular event, and she scathingly speaks to him. She, she says to him, Mr. Churchill, you, sir, are drunk. And Churchill, without batting an eye or missing a beat, stares her straight in the eye in front of witnesses, this is why we have the story, and says, Yes, madam, and you are ugly. However, in the morning, I will be sober. <laughs> I mean, it's harsh, but it's... But it is... I mean, it, I Churchill mean, didn't worry about that. Yeah, he, he, he recognized, and perhaps she caught him at the right moment, but it is... You know, he, he he probably would have had to have been intoxicated to have actually said that. To, to actually said that, but but, he, yes. but it also illustrates the man so clearly that 
when he knew he was right, there's no messing with him. Consequences be damned. The consequences <laughs> be damned. I will fight to the. I will fight yeah. to the end. I will fight them on the beaches, as he would say. Yeah. Uh, he lived all that. you want, but I got one better. <laughs> yeah. There's just it, so much here, so it, much. Just, that's right. He, it's one hour. of the greatest comeback lines. Yeah. One of the greatest put down lines of history, actually. Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, so yeah, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall witnessing that one live. Oh my gosh! Because yes, yes that's uh, yeah. it's become part of our part of our legends these days. Yeah. So Francis, what is up next? Uh, it's kind of hard to top Churchill. I'll give you that one. But we go to pop culture, of course, next time. And Martin, this is one of yours. Yeah, I've been I looking forward to be this. Fun. This is going to be fun. We're reaching back to the 1970s. We often do that. Classic cop shows of the 1970s. Uh, that's kind of in well, it could our be any era. But be, yes. yeah, it's kind yeah. of our wheelhouse. We re- we've discovered that there's a really cool, often forgotten charm to this particular genre. Yes, it's a, yeah. and it's not even just necessarily cop-specific shows. Because sometimes they were private investigators. That's, oh, 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 yep. That no, is no, correct. Not gonna go there. Not gonna, not go. gonna go. There. That takes half the guys I want to talk about. <laughs> it, it, the, the 1970s was very unique. In the way, I mean, cop shows have been with us since the beginning of uh, television and are with us today. Car 54, where are you? That's right. (laughs) And uh, so many of those cop shows today have no resemblance to what we're going to talk about in the 1970s. They were unique in many ways. They had had a focus all their own. And we think that's worth exploring a little bit. Yeah, I think it's going to be super fun. It'd be... It's a great uh, walk down nostalgia. Yeah, I, I don't know that we'll go someplace... Super profound or anything with well, it. Well, pop culture, we don't have to. But it's, it'll be it's fun. fun. But we often do. We often reminisce do. and talk about these. It's going to be fun. We were, we were just kids when these things were on. But you know, we also recognize that there's value in every one of these. So please, join us next time. We think you'll love it. Thank you, Francis. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.